Rusty Quill presents. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, guys. Welcome to the first episode of 2022. Hope you enjoy it. And if you're enjoying the show and want to support it, you can do that on Patreon at patreon.com slash woe underscore begone. Being a patron comes with a bunch of perks, but the one that I want to highlight this week is the new single from the upcoming Season 3 soundtrack release. It's called Can I Stay Here a While, and it's based around an instrumental from episode 36 of the show, and the lyrics are about the events of that episode, with Mike staying at Matt's house. Here's a sneak peek. Get that and more at patreon.com slash woe underscore begone. A special thanks to my ten newest patrons, Jeremiah Easley, Instavoid, Froggy, TTT, Jude L, L Adams, Brandon Steins, Lilith B, John Williams, and Terry Nelson for supporting the show. Enjoy. I don't think that it's an insult to my prestigious colleagues and cherished loved ones to say that we had no idea what we were doing when we founded the base. 
We all brought some form of expertise, but none of us had ever run an organization of any type, much less a time travel organization murderously at odds with other time travel organizations. Anne had organized a book club in college, and she did seem to be the one most capable of putting a plan together and acting on it, but those two things might not be related. She did seem to know best what foundational things we needed to get started, though. It was her house that we were living in, after all. Most of us were going home to sleep, but we did spend most of our free time there. She had found a landlord that didn't mind getting paid in cash and was good at not asking questions. And having relocated and not working it over like the rest of us, we were the ones who provided said cash. We were happy to do so, or rather, I was happy to do so. Though it was a fairly large residence to pay for, meant to house many people if necessary, with extra room for offices and experimental facilities and four hamsters. Three hamsters. Rest in peace, Chubbums. Money was tight, compared to our ambitions at least, and everyone had a different threshold of what they thought was appropriate to contribute. I basically forked over my whole paycheck to her, with the understanding that it meant that I had already paid for my share when it was time to go in on pizza. Speaking of over, things continued to get stranger following the destruction of 357A, something that I recently realized I was partially responsible for. Following the Flinchite's instructions, I had pointed the antenna of a device into Tier 3, and apparently sent some sort of information back that resulted in the destruction of 357A. Whoops. I can't say that I was too concerned about it, not with the impending founding of the base right after that. Generally, I range between not caring and being generally antagonistic towards the goals of OVER. They are literally a United States government operation, and I only have contempt for them in that regard. My only concern about 357A was that I suspected that Flinch, or whatever technology Flinch was using, was inside that building, which would explain why OVER security software went down right after it happened. Now, with the founding of the base, we had a similar, maybe lesser power, but one that we had direct control over the calculators. While I would rest easier knowing where Flinch was and what he was up to, the calculators gave us independence from him, something that Ryan never had. But curiously, the Arbiters did, and they were the ones that stole Wobegon from Ryan. Or stole Wobegon from the guys that stole Wobegon from Ryan, that whole situation is sort of hard to suss out, especially with Ryan being MIA and potentially deceased. It's possible that the Arbiters used their access to Flinch to develop a technology so that they were no longer reliant on Flinch, much like the Flinchites were doing, at least according to that boot that I had taken hostage. That would explain how they were able to operate Wobegon while I was playing as Donnie Evans after the destruction of 357A, and that's my best guess as to what the calculators even are. Ty Betteridge was very publicly missing, by the way, following his death inside of Tier 2. Over did a press conference and everything, surprisingly enough. The press conference didn't confirm his death, but it didn't cover up that he wasn't going to be showing up to work anymore. The situation with Hunter and the button is what made everything unclear. Hunter had extracted us from Tier 2 using the emergency button, which is something that he was able to do because of his Tier 2 training. I didn't understand the specifics, and I don't think that he did either, but I think that the emergency button is just a marker, and it emits a frequency that allows it to be easily triangulated later. Regardless of how it worked, Hunter had to fill out a ton of paperwork after using it, and we had to help him detail every little aspect of the night in question, right down to placing events on a map of Tier 2. I don't know about Over's awareness of the situation, whether it's partial or total, whether that paperwork was accepted by the organization or digested by an automated process that automatically spat out what we were hoping to achieve, 
other Hunters Hartley inside of Over only further convoluted the truth. Regardless, most of the damage seemed to have been fixed, with the one exception being the missing of Ty Betteridge. So it was unclear whether he was alive or dead and what that state of being meant for the Ty that I knew. Sometimes altering past events has a direct effect on the person, as if that had always been what had always happened, and sometimes it's like the two iterations of the person aren't even connected at all. I hadn't learned how to tell the difference, and I didn't know Ty's connection to his past self. Edgar knew Ty. They started work at Over around the same time and were on friendly terms. Edgar described him as exceedingly normal, which I agree with on the grounds that I found him to be a decent and unassuming person to interact with, though the tie that I knew was considerably older than the tie that Edgar knew. It remains unclear how he managed to be both an Arbiter and an Over-employee and then later a Flinchite, though I assume that manipulation of space-time was involved. That dude had a lot going on. And Ty's association with this group made me think that it might have been a mistake to think that all of these groups are unrelated and only at odds with each other out of a selfish drive to power. After all, if each of us is only interested in the absolute value of power, we could all have a fuck-ton of power if we just teamed up, and that power would barely be limited by everyone else in the group. There's no need to share. Time travel brought enough for the whole class. We could have one world Wobegon, united by our absolute power over time and space. But until that beautiful day comes, it's just me and my friends at the base fiddling around with some technology that we stole off a corpse. We desperately wanted to know what made these devices tick, but we were also terrified of taking them apart out of fear that we wouldn't be able to put them back together again. And we were lucky to have two of them again. We narrowly avoided the killing of a Mike Walters in the retrieval of the second one. Luckily, there was a knight in shining armor come to save the day. This is Wobegon. I woke up in Edgar's arms, sort of. I was still in the house in Rugby, North Dakota, head on a pillow that Mike and Michael had found for me, some superficial wounds patched up, but head still throbbing, mind in a non-understanding haze. I didn't really wake up, per se, it was more like I was able to focus for a moment and understand what was going on. Once I could see through the mental fog, Edgar was there. I also wasn't really in his arms, per se. I'm sure that he saw the blood and the bandage on my ear and decided that it was unwise to move me. He would have had to walk right past the shattered earpiece to get to me in the house as well. The whole scene paints a pretty clear picture. He was knelt down, one hand on my shoulder when I came to, a gun in his other hand. Drawn weapon aside, I was comforted to know that he was there. In my newfound lucidity, I began to raise my head up. Last thing I remember, Mike and Michael were still in the house. Where did they go? No, 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 don't move, Mikey. Edgar said, putting pressure on my shoulder to keep me from getting up. Mike and Michael were here, I said, laying my head back down. Oh, Mikey, Edgar said. That was just a dream. 
Michael, the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, none of those are real, babe. You bumped your head real hard in the tornado. He's real, I groaned. He's so frustratingly real. Uh, Let me sit up. I'd prefer to sit up. I reached out my hand. Edgar took it and helped me reach a sitting position. I'm gonna be fine. I was just stunned for a while. The earpiece broke. I couldn't contact you. Yeah, I can see that, Edgar said. We're going to have to put ideas for backup communication in the base manual when I make one. Concussion safety while we're at it. Mikey, you've been hit in the head way too many times in the past few weeks. He is dead though, right? The guy that we're after? I saw a lot of blood in the other room. Edgar looked around. Yeah, yeah, he's dead, I said. Thankfully, he brought a knife to a gunfight. But where are Mike and Michael? Haven't seen them, Edgar said. Wait, you're telling me they were actually here? Yeah, I mean, I'm not the one who bandaged me up. I gestured at my leg. Michael had cut the pants off around the wound, leaving me with half jorts. This was a disappointing turn of events. You are never supposed to get blood on your jorts when you're cutting them. So, did they take the body with them? He asked. I think so. I'm sure that they told me, but I couldn't focus. I said. The whole incident was a blur. I almost believed Edgar when he said that it was a dream. Do you remember anything they said? He asked. Not really. I mean, maybe I'd remember if someone reminded me, but I just, I couldn't focus. Uh, Michael told me that I was going to be alright... Uh, there was something about corrections. I don't remember. It hurts to think, I said. Well, that's probably for the best, though, isn't it? Edgar said. Propagation and all that, what you don't know can't hurt you. Those two are from way further out than we are. They're sort of dangerous in that way. They could say something that seems obvious to them, but it could totally change our lives for better or worse, and with no way of telling how it's going to turn out. Oh, 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 I remember, uh, Michael was yelling at Mike because Mike was going to use the calculator to send me back to the base, I think, I said. He showed up after Mike to correct him. I think his reasoning was using the calculator would make me drop to the ground and I might not be able to catch myself. Michael was really adamant about it. Oh, well then, there goes my whole plan too, Edgar said. I was just going to swoop in, kill the guy myself if I had to, grab you and the calculator and get the hell out of here. Well, you're too late to swoop in and save the day this time, I said. Uh, Speaking of, uh, you can put your gun away. I did kill him. Oh, Edgar looked startled. Oh, I guess I can. I forgot that I had it out. He holstered his weapon. So, how long do we need to stay here? Like, how long do we need to wait before you'd feel comfortable traveling back? Hmm, a few hours, I think. I said, just long enough that if I fall I can catch myself. Traveling is disorienting even when I'm healthy and prepared. I don't want to lose focus midway through. Edgar looked relieved. A few hours, god, I thought you were going to say like a few days. Yeah, we can do that no problem. But you are going to have to rest for a few days when we get back, you know. Okay, but what about the base? What about over? I asked. Uh, the base can wait for you, dummy. It's not like all of your friends are going to be mad that you're too hurt to do the time travel espionage. I think they'll understand. Over is a different story, and we definitely need to figure something out. Not necessarily because of this one incident. You've been out injured before, and they didn't ask any questions. Honestly, I think that they're a little bit scared to fuck with you. You did get mauled almost to death by a bear on their property, surrounded by guards who could have helped you but didn't. 
that's just a lawsuit waiting to happen. And even if you didn't win, well, their profile is already dangerously high. I doubt that they would want it any higher. But yeah, between you being injured and spending all of your time at the base, we're gonna have to figure something out about Over. And I'm going to have to figure it out for myself, too. But that is a guideline for future Edgar to work into his future manual. Is future Edgar a cowboy? I asked. <laughs> I wish, he chuckled. No, you don't, I replied. But, uh, changing subjects entirely, can you do me a big favor? Yeah, anything, he replied. Can you clean up the blood? The body might be gone, but anyone that steps foot in here will know that there's been a murder, I said. On it, Edgar said. He looked around again. I'm on it as much as I can be. I don't know how I'm going to get bloodstains out of carpet. Fair enough, I said. Uh, can you do me one more favor? Can you get me into the kitchen chair? I'm just really tired of sitting on the ground, I said. He helped me into the chair. I probably didn't need the help, but it was nice to know that he was there beside me. Huh. I didn't even notice that before, Edgar said, looking towards the center of the kitchen table. I guess you didn't imagine Michael after all, unless the guy that owned this place also has a thing for black felt cowboy hats. Sure enough, there was a black felt cowboy hat on the kitchen table next to the calculator. No, uh, Mike was wearing it, remember? I said. He was wearing it when he stopped me to tell me not to buy the lottery ticket. You were in my ear. Remember I mistook him for Michael? Oh, Edgar said. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Mike was wearing the cowboy hat. And he just left it here, I guess? That doesn't seem right, I said. Michael said that he was here to get his hat back, and I assumed that he was joking, but it's hard to tell. But it would be very out of character for him to leave it here. Hmm, Edgar said. Let me see something. He picked up the calculator. I couldn't really tell exactly what he was doing, but it looked like he was navigating some menus. The calculators were complex and dangerous, and I did not want to be the cause of a catastrophic failure, so I just never learned how to use it. Yep, here it is, Edgar said after a few seconds. One of them used the calculator in this room. It's in the usage log. I assume that you didn't use it while you were conked out, and the target was dead when this was logged. Mike and Michael duplicated the hat. A parting gift, I guess? I understood immediately. Michael. He was planting the seed. When we first met, he told me, You turn into me, remember that. But he never indicated how I was going to turn into him, or the thought process that led into lifestyle choices. Oh my god, I'm doing the voice! Ugh! Fuck. The incipient urge to become a cowboy. Here in good old North Dakota. That. Fiend. Ugh, throw it in the trash, I whined. Aw, I think it's sweet, Edgar said. Getting a gift like that, you guys are usually so mean to each other. And we shouldn't leave trash at a crime scene. Mikey, we're taking it with us. Fine, I grumbled. Why are you guys so mean to each other anyway, Edgar asked. I mean, even with the Riga mics, they're not that different from you. Yeah, that's sort of the problem, I said. Ugh, whatever, I surrender, baby bear, he said. You rest here for a bit. I'm going to contact base and see what cleaning supplies I can scrounge up. That might be something worth stocking up on in the future. So just rest here. Or I guess you can go get in the bed? That would feel weird, I said. Yeah, I agree. Just do whatever. Get some rest and shout if you need anything, okay? He kissed me on the cheek and then went into the living room to start cleaning up my mess. I wavered in and out of focus while Edgar cleaned the living room. I could hear him talking to Bass on the earpiece, but I couldn't make out anything that he was saying. 
At some point, I heard cleaning supplies drop into the room and land with a clatter. I could hear scrubbing and smell bleach from the kitchen. Meanwhile, my mind flitted between ill-formed thoughts and half-dreams. Occasionally, I would come into focus and feel angry, though I couldn't remember what I felt angry about. It was miserable and confusing, but I was elated that I wasn't going to have to get out of North Dakota alone. Edgar could get me out in a few hours. If I actually had waited until I was ready to use the truck, it might have actually been a few days. There were spats in my confusion where I would come out of it and feel protected, warm and cozy despite everything. I wrote, love is a hell of a drug in the script after this, that's corny, let's not do that. Slightly over two hours passed with little fanfare. I could tell that it had been two hours because I could see the time on the stove and the microwave, and the coffee machine. Kitchen appliances are hell-bent on making sure that you know what time it is, but never exactly what time because all of the times were very slightly off from each other. Hearing a loud sound, I snapped to attention. It sounded like it was coming from outside. I couldn't tell what it was because I hadn't been alert when the sound had happened. I could hear Edgar in the living room. It sounded like he was locking the front door. Very shortly after that, he barreled into the kitchen. He looked frenzied. Is someone outside? I asked. A whole fucking bunch of someones, Edgar said. Are we going to shoot them? I asked. <laughs> no, I don't think you understand. We don't stand a chance, Mikey. There's at least six people out there, maybe even more. They were still pulling up when I came back here. Edgar picked up the calculator off the kitchen table. Are you ready to travel, Mikey? I mean, if not too fucking bad, it's go time. Did you get the blood cleaned up? I asked. Well, there's no blood anymore, but there's bleach spots where the blood used to be, Edgar said. Not that it matters, because we gotta get the fuck out of here. There's no time. Fuck. He pushed the buttons on the calculator frantically. Stupid homemade piece of shit. I heard a window break in the living room. All right, Edgar, I'm ready to travel. Time to get us out of here, I said. Not helpful, Edgar said through gritted teeth. He pushed more buttons on the calculator. I stood by helplessly. Close enough, he said. He picked up the cowboy hat from the kitchen table and put it on his head. We're riding out of here, partner, he said. Please don't, I responded. Hold on tight, he said. He put his arm around me, pushed a button on the calculator, and then we were gone. Edgar and I returned to the base, only a few inches off the ground, the sensation akin to stepping on a step that isn't there. I landed and then immediately sat down, worried that my knees would buckle if I didn't. After a few seconds of recovering from the travel, Edgar helped me to the couch. Can someone get him some water and an ibuprofen? Edgar asked. I didn't see who was in the room to respond to the request. A minute later, Edgar returned to the room and set the glass of water and an ibuprofen on the coffee table in front of me. Thanks, Edgar said. No problem, Edgar said. I closed my eyes in dismay. When were you going to tell me about this? I asked. Well, we had to get you out of there somehow, one of them said. Marissa is on a different mission securing assets for the base and Hunter is working his shift at over. So that leaves just me here to save you, and I couldn't take the other calculator because there was a chance that the second one was still missing. And if I got to you and we got in trouble, then we would need someone here to bail us out. So, let me get this straight. If something had gone wrong out there, you were going to send another Edgar to come save us and leave a third Edgar on support? I asked. Well, I mean, why not? And Edgar asked. I didn't see which one, my eyes were closed. There are three of you, aren't there? But what are you going to do now? I asked. Are there just going to be two of you now, or...? We are going to consolidate, the Edgar wearing the cowboy hat said, matter-of-factly. Consolidate? I was taken aback. No, 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 Edgar. I was supposed to consolidate first, to make sure that it was safe for everyone. We still haven't tried it with anything bigger than Princess Daffodil. 
I mean, I know that the last experiment failed before we could try it, but... Mikey, Mikey, he interrupted me. What is this sacrificial lamb nonsense? It's the concussion, Cowboy Edgar said. On a long enough timeline, all of us become cowboys. Truth hurts. Very well could be the concussion, the other Edgar said. Mikey, you weren't going to be the first one to get consolidated because you're disposable. You were going to be the first one because you were the first one out in the field, and you were the first one out in the field because I love you and I trust you to get the job done. Edgar scowled at me. I had clearly hurt his feelings. But he had made me a sacrificial lamb. He sent me on a mission without warning me what it was about. I nearly died, and it felt like a punishment for fucking up the previous mission, even though on that mission one of me actually died. I listened to me die, my final breaths resounding in my ears along with gunshots. I heard me hit the table and sputter blood. I had suspected the entire time that the calculator I was being sent to retrieve was the same one that I had lost, but I hadn't been certain. It wasn't until one of the Edgars referred to the calculator from Rugby as the other calculator that went missing that I was sure. I left all of this unsaid as I lay there on the couch, head spinning and throbbing, irritable thoughts growing and cascading, hot water for me to stew in. I was lost to the world for a moment. Fuck. I finally groaned. Both Edgars moved towards me to put their hands on mine, but I batted them away. Fuck. I reiterated. Fuck. I'm okay. Don't touch me. I'm okay. I, My head. But you're right. If you want to consolidate, then it's your choice. It isn't really a choice, Edgar said. There's not room enough for both of us here, and it wouldn't be fair to send one of us away. <sighs> I know, I begrudgingly admitted. Some time passed. I'm not sure how much. I didn't sleep on the couch. I lay there with my eyes closed, thinking about everything that had happened. Thinking about it gave me a headache, but any mundane thought would eventually lead back to me thinking about it and me trying to push it back down. At some point, the two Edgars came back into the room and gently stirred me from my spiral. We're ready, the non-cowboy Edgar said, but we can't operate the calculator while we do it. We need your help. Edgar hung up the cowboy hat on the hat and coat rack in the living room, handed me the calculator, and led me into a side room that they had cleared out. The room was completely empty. It was an interior room of the house, so there wasn't even a window. It reminded me of the transport room inside of the Flinchite compound. There wasn't anything that could accidentally be transported or, worse, consolidated. They had marked two X's beside each other in the center of the room that they were now standing on. We're ready when you are, one of them said. It was impossible to tell which one of them was a cowboy. They both took long, deep breaths in anticipation. I looked at the calculator. There was code on the screen, variables that I couldn't understand. I couldn't double-check their work, I couldn't catch an error if one existed. I couldn't save them if something went wrong. I had to trust them, even if my trust had lately been in short supply. I raised the calculator, pointed it at them, and pulled the trigger. Joking, it's not a gun, you don't point it at something and shoot laser beams at it or whatever. I pushed a button, but that's not dramatic. This has been Wobegon. Next time, The Consolidation. Thanks for playing.
Woe be gone? More like whoa get along little doggy. At this point do you know what I am saying? Cowboy emoji.